Fridge acknowledges the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we work, live, and the gallery operates. We recognize that sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to all First Nation people across the world with admiration of any harmonious and symbiotic relationships with land and fauna. Hi, everyone. I hope this day finds you well and in good health. My name is Tisha Malott, Director of Verge Gallery at the University of Sydney, and it is with warmth that I welcome you to Verge's podcast series, Opening Drinks. Opening Drinks brings Verge's exhibitors in conversation with fellow artists, academics, and writers for a conversation around creative practices, theories, and processes. Verge is a public art space dedicated to the presentation of contemporary art practice, and its key focus is to present interdisciplinary exhibitions from leading and emerging arts practitioners while providing the University of Sydney students, academics, and visitors an arena for critical dialogue and response. A space without borders, we encourage unique voices and viewpoints. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining in. In this episode of Opening Drinks, I'll be speaking with Elise Harmson and Nicholas Smith about The Empty Room Feels Bigger, a collaborative project presented at Verge in 2022. Here is a little background on the show and the collaboration. Smith and Harmson met at a Chantel Ackerman film screening in 2016. Since this first meeting, the two have shared an interest in the late director's work and the relationship between moving image, painting, and the experience of time passing. The Empty Room Feels Bigger continues this discussion, drawing influence from Ackerman's characteristic long takes and the psychological interiority of her films. Smith has painted several watercolors on linen after Ackerman's 1996 one and only romantic comedy, A Couch in New York, starring Juliette Binoche and William Hurt. Beatrice, a dancer from Paris, swaps her colorful cluttered Belleville apartment for psychiatrist Henry's vast, sparse designer apartment on New York's Upper East Side. Both find themselves immersed in the other's life. The paintings show Henry lying on Beatrice's attic bedroom, reading letters from her myriad of lovers. While on the other side of the Atlantic, Beatrice psychoanalyzes Henry's patients. Harmson's work takes influence from Ackerman with a video installation that is part road movie and part room film. Rests Are Moving Silences brings together footage from the last 15 years of the artist's own archive. Long distances, travels, and intimate interior spaces are woven together in a narrative on the relationship between the fleeting moment and its transferal into the film, an exploration of the digitization of film and how it gives easy access to the illusion of the frozen frame of the celluloid strip and the heavy presence of passing time and mortality associated with the still image. Hello, Nicola. Hello, Elise. How are you today? Yeah, very well. Thanks, Tisha. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Um, Look, as we get into this conversation, um, I'm keen to know more about how you met and what made you decide to initiate in this collaboration or initiate this collaboration. So when when we met, I'd just moved back to Sydney. I'd been living in Hobart and um, I saw that there was a Shanto Ackerman film screening or series of screenings that that I went to at 55 Sydenham Road. And the screenings were something that Elise had put on and that was where we first encountered one another. Yeah, it was um, 55 Sydenham Road was a artist-run space that kind of had a very experimental-based program. Um, I'm pretty sure it was just after she'd passed away um, and I had put on a, curated a, a show uh, 
I can't even remember what the name was. So it's quite a while ago. <laughs> um, but uh, it was to do with sort of interior spaces and um, the feeling of distance and longing. It was a mostly artists from Western Australia um, and I, that I'd just been back home, thought, I know what I'll do. I'll put a show of West Australian artists on at a small experimental gallery in Sydney. And um, and when I heard that uh, Ackerman had passed away, I was just like, oh, it would be a really good opportunity to, to view her work alongside that conversation. And um, I'd always been sort of influenced by her work and sort of as a structuralist filmmaker in particular. So that's how we, we first met. And is, um, was there like a reignition of the conversation and that part of that collaboration that made you decide to want to, you know, after I guess it's been four or five years, reconnect again and create this collaborative work for Verge? Um, we never sort of disconnected, I guess. After that first meeting, I ended up, was it after that that I ended up having a studio space at 55 Sydenham Road? So um, the the kind of initial conversation about Ackerman has been ongoing the past few years, I guess. I think I was at 55 for one year. Yeah, and, and at that point I'd been painting from Ackerman films for maybe a year or two already and then in the years since I've, I've consistently returned to her work and, and to talking to Elise about Ackerman and watching the films together. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And like looking at the film A Couch in New York and at the time of its release, it was described as one of Ackerman's least successful films because of its commerciality and because it takes the form of a romantic comedy. But reflectively, some would say that in this film, Ackerman bucked this Hollywood cliche. For she, she like subverted the traditional characterization of male and female roles. And what I mean by this is, you know, Binochet's Beatrice has much to teach Hertz Henry uh, when usually it's portrayed the other way around. Um, what do you guys think about this? Or what do you both think about this? Yeah, I think the A Couch in New York is, is a, like a very, very funny film and it, it didn't sort of get an amazing reception upon its release, but I think it is it sort of fits all the romantic comedy kind of tropes from the mid-90s but it it's quite clunky and it, it's missteps and it's, it's entirely a very Ackerman film as well. Mm. At least do you do you feel the same way or? Yeah well funnily enough this is one of the Ackermans that I actually haven't seen and can't hold of. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it kind of I mean but I, I like that relationship also so sometimes Nicola has introduced me to Ackerman films through her paintings um, mm. and then when I view them in the cinema or, you know, on DVD, um, it transports me into a different space of painting and, and you know, so there's always an ongoing relationship between the the three of us in a way. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, if A Couch in New York kind of exists in my imaginary at the present point in time um, where I kind of... Uh, uh, can only sort of talk about it in the abstracted sense. But, you know, it, it, when you were asking about that sort of swap of, of gender roles and that kind of slapstick relationship between expectations of that, you know, I, I think they're, they're really interesting things. And, you know, going back to the idea of working collaboratively, I've always worked collaboratively in my practice and continue to do so in, in several different forms. So I've never really liked the specific authorship of work so you can play around with um, 
being someone else for a moment, then that's kind of fun. <laughs> mm. It's a really responsive way of working too, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it, it creates dialogue and it opens up those kind of connections between things rather than kind of trying to separate yourself from everything. Mm. It's an incredibly difficult film to get. Yeah, and I guess this is... Um, Maybe this is something that's referred to like Ackerman's films and kind of about Ackerman's canon to create films within the confines of one room. And I feel it's this is, that this is replicated in um, an empty room feels bigger. It is intimate, like you're walking into a personal domestic space. Uh, and it makes me wonder, how much does your lived experience play a role conceptually in this work? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the personal and the deeply personal always makes it into my practice and my work, those friendships and relationships with people and spaces are always heavily intertwined and it's where I kind of get my uh, energy to make. It's always hard sort of speaking as, a, as the maker and, you know, what relationship that kind of biographical information will hold for an audience. I think it's it's different for different people and What's also interesting is it changes and shifts in kind of significance over time. And that's what I've found that's been quite interesting working with with video for so long. The obvious in this particular work is um, having worked with Jürgen as a collaborator who, who, who sad, very sadly passed away and when he was quite young in 2014. And um, having all of these hours of video footage and not just, not just the, the work, it was, you know, hours and hours of all the outtakes and... So work that was made, say, in 2007 uh, as a video work, the, the the meaning of that work just suddenly totally changed on, on his passing, um, you know, and I think that that's a really interesting thing about video. It's kind of like this mausoleum in a way. I think um, in your statement you referred to the illusion of the frozen frame of the celluloid strip. And is that where the, the glass and the painting come into your practice as well? Yeah, the video has always kind of exists as a, as a loop, um, which is kind of interesting. And I always sort of think about the lens and what kind of gets sort of caught caught in there. And, uh, and you know, and what was so interesting about first seeing Ackerman's uh, work when I think I was probably about 16 or 17 and just being so um, engaged with her sense of time in film, you know, like mm. sort of the the disappearance of sort of space and the disappearance of time happened at the same kind of, in the same kind of way in cinema, you know. Um, and then you've got someone that's just kind of dragging those shots out and making you really sit with that space. Um, it was quite magical. Um, and I know that, you know, when Nicola and I have been in the cinema seeing her films together, we kind of... Uh, get totally transfixed with uh, certain certain scenes and certain things that have happened. And Nicola, you kind of replicate that in your work, that idea of frozen time by showing mm. actually scenes captured um, momentarily. Yeah, and the relationship with time that comes with doing a painting. I mean, I think, yeah, Ackerman, I don't want to say that Ackerman's films lend themselves to that, but I guess the time taken and the way that you can linger on a on a scene and and really allow your eyes to wander over something in the in view whereas usually in a in a film you might be watching the action more so rather than your eyes wandering across the frame as, as like in a painting but mm. I think the relationship to spaces and time like the past couple of years as well like with 
lockdowns and and I guess maybe with having a baby I guess I've spent so much time in the sort of same rooms the past couple of years and it feels like yeah you really get to know those spaces well (laughs) it's um I think it's interesting with your work as well when you're looking at you know um Henry reading Beatrice's letters from her myriad of lovers and you're watching these intimate kind of interactions between Beatrice and, you know, Henry's patients. It's almost like you um, dramatize that even more by capturing it in one sol- like in one painting that you can spend an unlimited amount of time just in that one moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sort of expands, expands out again, I guess, as well as focusing right in both those things. Yeah, and for yourself, Nicola, when you moved from oils to watercolour, like in my experience, they have a bit of a different technique to them. I, I was wondering, do you yes. like do you, do you carry over your painting techniques towards watercolors, or did you have to renegotiate your whole understanding? Uh, well, yeah, I think it. Yeah, and it. I mean, I I think I paint in watercolor like an oil painter. Like I sort of, I do use white, and I don't just use the white of the paper. But it's it's it is an entirely different kind of navigation because like with oil you sort of tend to wipe it out and um, wipe it back and have have a lot of shots at the one thing whereas with watercolor the marks really just stay there I mean I guess with the technique I was using it was it's watercolor on linen so I was able to wash it off but it's um, pretty much then then starting all over again so your collaboration is obviously based on adoration of a specific genre of film lived experience and friendship you have an interesting like practice and collaboration because you you keep your practices quite separate within the room, even though it's quite an intimate space. I guess working side by side, how have you seen each other's practices develop since you started working together? I mean, I love this work of Elise's because because she has brought together so much footage. Like a, it's almost like a back catalogue of some of the footage, like when she moved from Perth to Sydney and driving across Australia, like parts of her life from before I met her and yeah and then and then also included a projects that we've done together so it's like an amazing kind of insight or snapshot of her career or life or both those things yeah they, they it's, a, it's a it is a really beautiful element um to the work and at least there uh it's a capturing of of windows and as a portal in in, in the video works isn't it the the actual line work on on the glass pane yeah, yeah. Working with uh, this idea of, of glass and being a kind of very slow-moving liquid, we often think of them as these kind of solids in space and so sort of using them to kind of as like sort of points of abstraction to link these spaces together, these very disparate spaces together, I guess. Well, yeah, it is, it's very successful at doing that. And um, Elise, do you, how, I guess going back to the question, um, how have you seen Nicola's practice change or develop? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've always been obsessed with Nicola's works. I remember the first time sort of seeing them. I think it was pre, pre-meeting her and just being desperate to meet this person. <laughs> um, there's a kind of... Uh, intimacy and a intelligence in the way that Nicola sort of transforms the screen into painting 
and in in really interesting and surprising ways. You know, I, I love that you can kind of often as Nicola works in a series, you know, you can kind of move back and forth between and around the works. And especially, yeah, if you've seen the film or if you haven't seen the film, I don't think that necessarily matters, but that also changes the viewing experience. Mm. And I guess moving forward, where do you see your collaboration headed to now? Gosh, um, yeah, I've been mesmerised by Elisa's work for the past few years and I was so excited to see like what she does, <laughs> what she's going to do next and I, yeah, I feel really honoured to like share the space in, in you know, in this show and in, in other shows. So, but it's, I don't know ever what's next. Like I, I know we've talked about food in Ackerman's films and the way that the <laughs> tables are set and this one just, and we've recreated we some incredible meals or like platters, I guess. I don't know if that. Is a where to next? <laughs> is that the title? Like the title of the show will be like Ackerman's Table. <laughs> <laughs> one, day, some, yeah. one day, it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah, there are some really <laughs> fantastic table scenes. Yeah, but the props, and at least do you feel the same way? It may be based like food based. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, who knows, but it'd be a good idea. <laughs> It may be, I see in your future maybe a, a couple cups of tea around Nicola's kitchen table oh, yeah. um, and, and little marquees being built and um, <laughs> projections on walls and a few more paintings on the, on, on the walls in your, in your flat, Nicola. Yeah. Mm, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us today and thank you, Antonio, as well. <laughs> it's been really nice chatting with you. Thanks so much, Tasha. An Empty Room Feels Bigger uh, by the time this is published will have unfortunately passed. But if you would like to know more about the show, please log into our website on www.verge-net and you can see the documentation images and read a really beautiful essay by Serena Masukura. Thanks for joining us today. Opening drinks are hosted by Verge Artists and produced by me, Tisha Malat. I am supported by our wonderful editor, Gabrielle Ann, and Min Wong, our media and communications coordinator. The opening drink soundtrack entitled The Creator was written and performed by the incredible Rainbow Chan. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just check out the Verge website, verge-gallery.net, for our contact information. See you next time, and until then, stay safe. You did not make me. You did not make me.